Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If you were listening to the program during the 12 o'clock hour yesterday, you you know that I, I have just absolutely had it with the unacceptable level of crime and violence and reckless driving and car thefts. And I'm really tired of just nothing but lip service that you get from politicians and from prosecutors and from judges. And we we had an extensive conversation about it. What what got me started was a a dear friend of ours, you know, was in Milwaukee on Friday night having dinner and her car was was stolen. She was eating at some restaurant on Farwell Avenue and her car was stolen. And and this this is a big deal for for my friend. It it's not it it's the it is her car that she depends on to get to work and to go to the grocery store and things like that. And they found the car a couple hours later. Some punk or punks had stolen it. It, it was totaled, driven, you know, into a fire hydrant. Apparently the fire hydrant. It was one of those things like you see in the movies, you know, water spewing everywhere. You're not going to see that on the on the news. It doesn't make the news or anything like that because it, it's not a unique story because 22, 23, 24 cars a day are, are stolen. And we, we continue to have this as an acceptable sort of thing. And I mean, my, my point is it's time to say enough is enough. First time you steal a car, you need to have consequences. Maybe we need to go back to juvenile boot camps. I, I'm a big believer in that. And if that doesn't work, then you need to be behind bars. Oh, well, what are we going to do with the people? Well, we're going to put them behind bars, hoping that they learn their lesson. And also, I think you need to start holding parents um, financially accountable. Your 14-year-old son goes out and steals somebody's car. Yeah, I, I think... I think you should be held financially accountable for that. Maybe what it's going to do is make you try to at least be a slightly better parent and watch where your kids are. We cannot continue to tolerate how this goes on. So with that backdrop, watching TV, and I, if you follow me on uh, Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I've got a link to the story. Channel 4 had it. Channel 12 had it. I think my link is, is from Channel 12. But it is it is just this absolutely both amazing and disgusting video. And maybe one of the reasons this resonates, not just the fact that my friend's car was stolen a couple days ago, but this, what what happens here, this is the neighborhood where I grew up in. So um, if you haven't seen it, I, I've got the video, and you, you really should check it out on my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 it, it is this amazing and again, in a disgusting sort of fashion, the recklessness, the lack of regard for human life, the irresponsibility that goes on. So here's what happened. Bayshore Mall in Glendale, Sunday morning, police get a call for about 1045 in the morning that there are a bunch of punk kids, my term, not theirs, stealing a car. So they break into a car. They steal the car. All right. About an hour later, police find the, the car, and the, you can now see they've got dashboard camera footage from the cop car about what happens next. They show the officer pulls into a Coles parking lot 
and uh, the car takes off. Once again, the car was a Kia stolen from Milwaukee. The car heads westbound on Silver Spring. Now you're talking about Silver Spring, Port Washington Road, all, all by you know the Bayshore Shopping Center. If you watch this, the car crosses over and starts driving in the eastbound lane. It, it's driving at a high rate of speed into oncoming traffic. Let me say that again, into oncoming traffic. All right, so the police are trying to pull this car over. Um, the police put out stop sticks. The stop sticks deflate one of the tires. The car keeps traveling on flat tires. It is driving in oncoming traffic again. So they're going through red lights. They're going down the wrong way. They put out stop sticks. They're driving on the rims of the car. That's what these punks are doing. And then what happens is, briefly, the the cops lose sight of where the car is. Then up up on Mill Road, which is a little bit a ways away, they find the car again. The chase picks up. The car continues in fleeing from police, driving into oncoming traffic. And you can see cars that are swerving all out of the way. This could have been you. This certainly could have been me. This is Sunday morning, so people are coming back from church, and these punks are out there driving in this particular fashion. Eventually, and you can see that the way this ends, the car blows through a red light at Bender and Port Washington Road, and right in front of the building, the, the veterinarian that I take my dog to, the, the car finally, now it's driving on its rims, loses control, kind of spins out, narrowly misses hitting an SUV. It is only but for the grace of God that somebody is not dead. So the car finally, you know, it, it's, the tires are flat, car's on its rim, it, it, it spins out, and then you have seven punks get out of the car and start running in all different uh, directions. Um, police say they caught all seven occupants. They arrest the the people involved, <clears throat> the ages of the people involved in stealing the car, leading the cops on a high-speed chase, driving the wrong way down streets, blowing through red lights, and damn near killing a whole bunch of people. The ages range from 17, that's at the high end, to 12. You've got one or more 12-year-olds in this car on a Sunday morning, leading the police on a high-speed chase, driving the wrong way into traffic. Then the story, the way they write it on Channel 12, police could not immediately confirm if the kids were still in custody. If you follow me on Twitter, my note, in addition to showing you a picture of this, was seven kids— Ages 12 through 17, responsible for this high-speed chase through Glendale in a stolen car Sunday, may or may not still be in custody. My question is, if not, why not? Watch the video, see how it's a miracle that they did not kill anybody. And if they're not in custody, the, the overall question is, is why not? They should be in custody. Every one of these punks should not be sent back to the mom and dad who can't control their children at all. They should be, they should be in some form of detention. 
And if you not put them in detention, if you don't hold them responsible for this, well, two days later, they're going to be back out at Bayshore, and they're going to be stealing more cars. And the next time, they steal the car, and they're driving down the wrong way in traffic on Silver Spring Drive. The next time, they're not going to be so lucky that they're managed to miss cars that are coming the other way. They're going to hit and kill somebody, and it's going to be a 72-year-old man and a 70-year-old wife, or it's going to be a family coming back back from church with a couple kids in the car, and they're going to get hit in a head-on crash, and they're all going to be dead, and it's be because you have people that have no sense at all of propriety. They don't care about anybody else. They are selfish. They are impulsive. They are criminals, and they need to be held accountable. How many more people have to be injured, victimized, or die because of this epidemic of what is going on? So, all right, we, we've got new leadership in Milwaukee. Cavalier Johnson, what are you going to do about this? Where are these laws going to come from? For every judge that just got elected, what are you going to do to hold these people responsible? And for the state legislature, maybe it's time to take a real hard look at what we do with juvenile offenders and recognize that this is not Andy Griffith and we are not in Mayberry anymore, and this isn't Opie throwing a a stone at some neighbor's window. This is dangerous people who are going to kill people violate other people's rights, and they need to be held accountable. Let's stop this pearl clutching about, oh, well, it's only a 13 or a 14-year-old. We don't, we, we don't want to ruin their life. Well, okay, what, what is that 13 or 14-year-old doing when it steals some innocent person's car you know, from a shopping center and then drives at a high rate of speed down the road in the wrong way? When that person hits and kills somebody else, they're going to ruin a whole bunch of lives. If you want to see the video, check it out. At Jeff Wagner, 620, this stuff has to end, and it's only going to end if we collectively become outraged enough that we demand it end. Seven kids, 12 to 17, and it's unclear whether they're still in custody. Every one of them should be in custody and should be in custody for quite a long time. Back with more in just a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's the text. Jeff, don't take your foot off the gas on these car thefts. My daughter is still paying for car rental after three months, and insurance only covers 30 days. Car was found a week later, but delays on parts and bodywork. She's out over $4,000 out of pocket so far. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing that, that's going on here, That that it's... And again, what the frustrating thing is that my friend whose, whose car got ripped off on, on Friday, or you're never going to see that on the news because it's just one of dozens of cars that get stolen on a daily basis. There, there's not enough space in the newspaper to print everybody who's been victimized on this basis. But they have been victimized. In this, For people who think, oh, it's just insurance or something like that. Well, okay, it, it, first of all, it's, it's a big deal. It's your car. Not only have you been personally violated, but now you're without a car. So you got to try to go through all the hassle of trying to get the rental car. And then if they find your car, chances are it's going to be totaled. Then you have to try to process the insurance claim. you got to pay your deductible. It's not a game, and yet it is treated as a game by too many people in the city of Milwaukee. And the only way that's going to change is we start holding them accountable. Somebody 
tweets, well, we, we got to go easy on them because if we come down too hard, they'll be in and out of the system. Here's my point. If you don't do anything to them, they're going to be in and out of the system because if they don't learn at an early age that there are consequences for misbehavior, they're, they're just going to escalate. So, okay, this is the game now. We're going to steal cars. This is going to be cool. We're going to put it up on Facebook. Okay, well, pretty soon, if you have no accountability for stealing cars, Grand Theft Auto, what happens? Well, then, then all right, well, now, you know, here's what the idea is. It's, it's not as easy to, we don't want to just steal these cars that we can get into without the key fobs. So here, we're, we're going to carjack people. And then it just escalates. And again, sooner or later, let's go easy on these car thefts. Well, okay, you watch this video again. It's a, you can see it on my Twitter account, at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, you, you watch these, this car driving 60, 70, 80 miles an hour on flat tires on the rim, swerving as it's going down the wrong way on Silver Spring Drive, avoiding cars coming the other way. Well, okay, yeah, let's go easy on them. So next time when they do it, next Sunday morning, they hit and kill that family coming back from church. Go easy on them. What a stupid thing. We've got to stop going easy on people. We've got to say that there are consequences. Okay, enough of my soapbox, at least for the moment, but it just it is just aggravating that this stuff goes on on a daily basis and it makes you realize that just around here i don't know if you're safe anywhere i mean seriously i don't know if you are safe anywhere all right let us regear the final jeopardy answer is 204 204 what is the question do, 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 do. No, no, no. I'm not going to take calls and make you guess for it. 204. That's the final Jeopardy answer. The question is, how many minutes did it take to play the baseball game yesterday? The Brewers and the Orioles played a game. You heard it here on WTMJ. The game was two to nothing. So it's not like you've got, I don't know, 20 ga- runs scored in the game. The game was 2 to nothing. Brewers, again, they're off to a bad start this season. doesn't mean anything. It's early in the year. But right now, the, the Brewers look like the team this year that finished the team last year, the game season last year, with a complete and total inability to hit. But 2 to nothing. It's a 2 to nothing game. It took 3 hours and 24 minutes to play. That, that's, that's 204 minutes. It translates into approximately 24 minutes per inning. 24 minutes per inning. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I'm an old-time baseball fan, I, so I, 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 love, I love baseball. I, I love watching it. I, I think it's a, a great game. It, it may be my favorite game. I, I love it as a sport and I thought. I will tell you though, this sport is going to die unless they can figure out a way to move the game along. People younger than me do not have the attention span for a two to nothing game that takes three hours and twenty four minutes to play. And there's all this standing around. If you look at some of the most popular sports now, football games are getting longer. Across the world, 
soccer games. Soccer game, you go there, it's over in two hours and ten minutes. Don't tell me soccer is boring. Soccer, at least, you you know, game starts at one. You know it's going to be over by three or three fifteen. College basketball, incredibly popular. That that's over maybe two hours and fifteen minutes. And baseball drags on and on and on. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't have answers as to how you try to speed up the game, but if you don't speed up the game, you are going to kill this sport. Almost three and a half hours to play a two to nothing game is nuts. And the fans can't put up with this. I have a seat, partial season tickets. We had 20 games, the Brewers. You go to a game that starts at seven o'clock at night on a Wednesday night, three and a half hours. Families cannot sit through that. The kids do not have the patience for that. This sport will die if they can't figure out how to play a nine inning game in, in certainly less than three hours and probably lots less than three hours. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, baseball games take longer and longer each year. I have young kids. They cannot sit through it. I stick to Marquette basketball. Well, again, I, I can't tell you, even during the summer, I will go. I, I sit my seats are like kind of behind home plate, like in the 19th row, and, and the game will start. It'll be 7 o'clock or whatever, and you'll see the families there. And by 9.15, you know, two hours in, you're only in the fourth inning. And the, the kids, you see the parents hauling the kids back, and half of them are sleeping. Uh, look, I understand for old-school traditionalists, bring it on. We don't mind sitting for four hours or whatever. But this game is going to die unless they can figure out a way to move it along. Josh on the south side. Josh, you're on WTMJ. I, this has been going on for a while. I, I totally lost interest as I became an adult because it is too slow, long, and boring. You compare it to the Bucks or any basketball, it's just faster. The game's done quicker. There's movement. So I, I think you better enjoy it while you can because – <laughs> There's really not much you can do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, make it speed up. Well, no, no, you're right. I mean, I don't have. I mean, thanks for calling. See, and I, I, what frustrates me is, I mean, a lot of times you talk about problems. I at least like to try to offer solutions. I, I don't know what the solution is, other than as a couple texters are making up. You know, back back in the day, you, you you could play games in in two and a half hours, two hours to two and a half hours. Now, three and a half hours yesterday, three hours and twenty four minutes to be precise, and and that was only an eight and a half inning game. The Orioles didn't even bat in the bottom of the ninth inning. It drags on and on and on, and they're standing around, and there's lollygagging, and there's all this stuff. You cannot hold people's attention. That's way too long. And, I mean, a two-to-nothing game, give me a break. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My brother-in-law, Dave, sent me a text during the break. He said, what other sport besides baseball can somebody call timeout unlimited times anytime they want? Which is kind of an interesting point. You know, you don't, you know, in, in basketball and football, there are a limited number of timeouts. But in baseball, hey, you're in the batter's box. Timeout, ump, I, I want time. Okay, timeout, ump, I want time. They've limited the number of visits that a catcher or the manager can make uh, during the, the course of the game. But you're right, the, the batter's timeout, ump, timeout. Well, maybe you put in a pitch clock and you say, okay, the whole game, you know, you, you get five timeouts. Otherwise, you step in that batter's box and you be ready to go. I'm just spitballing ideas here, but 
they got to do something. WTMJ and Jane Matinair are teaming up with the Brewers Community Foundation to collect pet supplies for the Wisconsin Humane Society. Join Jane tomorrow, that is Wednesday, April 13th, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. outside Halfair Field. That is, of course, the Little League field attached to American Family Field Stadium. They will be collecting toy dogs, uh, toy dogs. They're going to be collecting dog toys, canned and dry food for cats and dogs, cat litter, training leashes, and doggy treats. For more information, go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Care, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. Okay, let us regear. 855-616-1620. We did this a couple weeks ago. I want to, we're going to do this periodically. The new numbers are out for inflation today, and they are awful. U.S. inflation accelerated to 8.5% in March, according to the Labor Department. That is a new four-decade high as surging energy prices and higher food costs hit consumers. All right, the costs are going through the roof. Even if you have gotten a raise in the last four or five months, my guess is unless you got a monster raise, you have lost ground because the prices of goods and services have increased faster than your raise has. All right, but but I think for a lot of people, inflation, never having lived in an environment of inflation, it's one of these concepts where it doesn't really make, oh, what, you know, what, what's going on? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In your personal life, what have you noticed most about rising costs? That is to say, okay, what is it that when, you know, you went to buy something and you looked at it and you said, oh, my gosh, I see what this inflation thing that that people are talking about. You know, maybe it's gasoline. Maybe it's a particular item of food. Maybe it's, I don't know, something at the hardware store or whatever. But what, what has really hit you knowing my gosh, this inflation issue is real. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you one of my aha moments that I've, I've had in the last week or, or so. I, um, if my wife's listening, this is the honest to goodness truth. I eat very little fast food. I, I, I almost never go to fast food places anymore. Used to do it a lot, but I, I, I don't. But for some reason... Oh, in the last week or 10 days, it was one of those deals where maybe I hadn't had breakfast. And I, 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 anyway, I, I, went, I went to a McDonald's drive-through for, for like lunch after the program or something like that. And, and somebody, matter of fact, I was talking to a guy who's a chef at one of the local restaurants that I patronize. And, and we were talking about how food costs have gone up and, and how difficult it is for restaurants nowadays. And, and the chef was saying, yeah. And the chef said, you know where I really noticed it, Jeff? It was when I, I, I would take my kids you know, after practice or something, this is the chef, we'd, we'd run through McDonald's for a quick lunch or, or something like that. He said, I was amazed at what it cost. So in the last week or two, I, I went through a McDonald's drive through and all I, I wanted, just a, a quick sandwich. So I order their quarter pounder with cheese extra value meal, which is the thing I always get. So it's not like a little bigger cheeseburger. It's an order of fries and it's a soda. Now, I don't think it was that long ago that I think for that I was paying somewhere between 6 and $7. When I bought it, I guess I didn't look at what the cost would be, bad on me, $9.10 to go through a McDonald's drive through to get a quarter pounder with cheese, a medium-sized order of fries, and a soda. $9.10. 
Now, I don't mean to pick on McDonald's because this is, this is happening all over. But for me, it was just an object lesson of, man, things are getting more and more expensive. Okay, what is your inflation check? That thing that you see, that price that all of a sudden you go, I cannot believe how expensive blank has become. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, I don't mean to pick on McDonald's, but that was kind of my aha moment a few days ago. You know, a, a value meal, a value meal, a cheeseburger, a, a quarter pounder with cheese, an order of French fries and a soda, not even supersized, was nine bucks. Okay, if you're there with your spouse and your two kids, you're talking what, in the neighborhood of 30 to 35 to $40 to go through a drive through for some sandwiches? I mean, again, I don't mean to pick on McDonald's, but that's, that's just crazy. Jeff, my grocery bill has gone from $350 to over $500 a month for the same items, often now with reduced quantity per packages. Also, my previous deal on milk was $1.50 a gallon at Walmart. Now that has gone up to $3.70. Jeff, I just got home from grocery shopping. The coffee I always buy is up $4 a can. Eggs were at $2.99 a dozen. Jeff, ground beef prices really, really high. Zeke in Oak Creek says, Jeff, it, it's bacon. It's gone through the roof. Jeff, a gallon of milk. For the longest time, I could purchase a gallon of milk at a well-known local grocery store for no more than $2.50 a gallon. Now it's 4 and a quarter. Jeff, for me, three-bedroom, two-bathroom, starter homes, $400,000. Just nuts. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I went to a supper club the other week, first time in a few years, Forty nine ninety five for a 24-ounce prime rib. That's just like double over the course of the last couple years. Jeff, 12 packs of brand name soda, 7 and $8. Come on, it used to be 4 bucks not that much long ago. 855-616-1620. Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. Uh, agreeing with all the people that just texted you, I went to Sam's Club. Uh, it was either a week or two ago. And I buy four packs of butter there, and they were like eight sixty eight something around there. And I went to pick up a pack, and it was over fourteen dollars. Wow, <laughs> that is the highest increase I've seen. I mean, I I thought, what are the the you know cows on strike that produce milk that make the butter or what? Yeah, because you're right. No, no, thanks for your—I mean, you're talking about not 100%, but, but off the top of my head, about 75%. Jeff, for me, it's bacon. I've seen nine ninety nine a pound or any meat products. At Sam Club's, Sam's Club, I saw four ribeye steaks for over $50. Jeff, for me, this is easy. It costs $100 to fill my truck's gas tank. Two years ago, during the first months of COVID, it was around $42. Who doesn't notice a 120% um, price increase? increase. Jeff, I agree with you on fast food. My husband and I used to go to Culver's a couple times a month. Our bill used to be around $8. Now it's $15. We aren't going as often anymore. Thank you for your show. Well, thank you for listening, Jill. Um, somebody was saying uh, Tide, Tide Pods. Somebody was saying, as a matter of fact, one of our texters, Sam's Club. The, the, the Tide Pods had almost gone, had gone up six bucks in just like the last month or so. 
855-616-1620. I know this is hitting everybody, and, and I'm sure it would have been hitting me even harder, except I don't do the grocery shopping in our house. It, it's my wife that does, and she'll come back all the time and say, you, you know, when you look at the credit card, hun, just don't be shocked at, at what you're seeing on there because prices have just gone through the roof. Trevor in Greenfield. Trevor, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What, do you, what have you noticed? What, what, what has been your aha moment? My aha moment has been frozen pizzas, of all things. Really? It used to be like 3 for $10 for even you know the higher quality ones. Now they're 8 bucks a shot. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that again, it it, it kind of gets your attention, and I mean, people would say, "Well, it's only eight bucks," but but you used to be able to buy two or three, and and you know, and now I assume you just either have to pay it or cut back on those things. Well, yeah, I mean, my lifestyle is kind of hectic, so I end up paying it, but it's it's it right. definitely takes a dent in your income, at, you know. Oh no, you know, when you used to be able to get three or four of these for. Right. you're paying for one now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank, thanks for calling. Somebody was texting me pot pies, and um, so some place he goes. I, some of these these high end pot pies are like thirteen bucks a piece. I'm thinking, man, that must be a really special pot pie. Diane in West Dallas. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you this afternoon? I am well, thank you. What has been your I, aha moment? Good. My aha moment was fabric, yard goods of all things. I wanted to make my granddaughter an Easter dress. By the time I got the pattern alone was, I think, $15 at Joanne Fabrics, and where they used to be like two, three bucks. The fabric, I could not touch this for under $50. She's three years old. <laughs> you know, obscene, just ridiculous. I used to love to sew. I just can't see it happening. Well, no, no, thanks. And, and that's, and again, it, it, it's it's all across the board. Jeff, heating oil for our home cost over $800 versus $500 in December, and last year it was in the 400s. Yeah, I mean, that's the util- the sticker shock on utilities has been incredible. Jeff, for me, it's lumber. Standard 2 by 4 um, was still 2 bucks 2 years ago. Now you may have to pay $7, and you'll have to pick through the, file, the, the pile to find a straight one. Yeah, and here's one of our other textures. Michael says building materials are out of control. That's you know that that's it for people who are either the, the businesses too who are in the home improvement business or you know the new construction business and things like that. You know, it, it's getting to the point where you know you just have to wonder how, for example, the builder who okay here's what we're going to do we we've we've got this agreement we're going to build the the new house and now okay the costs have just absolutely gone through the roof you know how's how's the contract been written where are the potentials for overages just absolutely um crazy jeff even produce prices are um you know going up we find sometimes for produce we're paying two to three times the cost jeff costco the other day was crazy i paid 267 bucks for a couple weeks worth of groceries. I shopped for two people only. The paper products were crazy. $16.99 for Costco Kleenex. Eggs, $2.49 at Target the other day as as well. Um Jeff, when the can of bush light went from up went up from $1.50 to $2 at my local watering hole, I knew things were bad. I might have to switch to hams. I haven't had a hams beer in a long, long time. Um, number of people. Here's one. Banquet boneless chicken mega meals. 
$1.50 six months ago. Now it's $3.12. Jeff, Rachel Ray dog food. The bag got smaller and went up $2. Yeah, they, they call that shrinkflation, the idea that not only it costs more expensive, but it, it used to be maybe I'm just picking this. It used to be maybe it was a 24 ounce bag of whatever, and, and now it's a 21 ounce bag of whatever, and it still costs two dollars more. Now again, I don't mean to. I'm not picking on any of the stores because this is happening all across the board. But it is a huge, huge problem. Back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Jeff, we go to the Wisconsin Dells every year. We haven't been since 2019 because of the pandemic. Um, then it would cost us a room for a family of eight, 750 bucks. We were looking at going back this year, $1,300. We just decided we were going to um, stay home. <laughs> Jeff, Festival Foods, four-pack of butter went from $2.99 to $4.99. Jeff, this is an odd one. Bird seed. I used to pay a buck a pound for, salt fl- for sunflower seed for our house finches. Now it's gone up to $1.25 a pound. Little birds might have to go hungry soon. It, it's, it's all across the board. And I guess to, to tie this with a bow, bottom line is, if anybody wonders why it, it may be a really, really bad political year for one party come November, it's when you look at this and what you've heard over the last half hour. When we come back, it's a really dumb idea. I'm sorry, Mr. President. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is kind of a take-no-prisoners version of the Wagner program today. Get out a mop. My head is ready to explode. Okay, now we were talking in the last segment of the program about how, how costs are going through through the roof. And one of the things that many of you referred to was, was the, the price of gasoline. And we didn't even get into diesel fuel. I mean, my gosh, if, if, you're, if you're a trucker, just kind of imagine what you are, are going through. So now there's a lot of reasons for this. First of all, you've got all the inflationary pressures that are going on. Secondly, you have the um, the, the worldwide increased demand for oil because of the sanctions that are being imposed on Russia. And let's face it, part of it is the fact that you've got an anti-fossil fuel president. Joe Biden decided that he was going to throw his lot in with the environmental left and decide that, okay, what we're going to do is try to do everything we possibly can to discourage oil production, that this is it. We, we want to try to produce less oil so that we can force people to go to more renewable resources. And I've, as I've said repeatedly, there will be a time when the technology catches up to that. There, there will be a time when we're able to produce enough batteries and we'll develop the technology that we figured out how to power an electric grid sufficient to, to power cars and things like that. And, and, and maybe it'll be five years from now, maybe it'll be 20 years from now, but it's not now. And, and in the immediate future, what we should have been doing for the longest time is we should have been doing everything we could to encourage energy independence and drill baby drill. Let's encourage production. Let's get the pipeline so we can more efficiently bring, you know, oil 
or gas from from Canada, get it to our refineries in the United States. Let's figure out ways that we can induce um, American oil companies to, again, continue with the fracking. Let, let's try to produce more. But Biden hasn't been willing to do that. That's not where his instincts are. And as a result, you see fuel costs going through the roof. There's no reason that we should be paying $3.90 a gallon for gasoline. There's just not, except for the fact that we are not producing to our fullest capacity. So what's happening now is Joe Biden is trying to come up with a number, recognizing that he's in a lot of trouble in the polls, recognizing that Americans are unhappy with what they're paying. He's trying to come up with stopgap measures. Let's reduce, let's release millions of barrels of oil from the National Strategic Reserve. I, I don't have a problem with that, but that's that's like taking a gaping wound and putting one of the little Band-Aids on it. That, that's not the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is increasing production. So what does he announce today? Well, he, he's got his new solution to try to rein in costs this summer. I hope you're sitting down for this. The solution is allow you to buy more E15 gasoline. Now, now let me let me kind of walk into this slowly. There, in what was Iowa for years and years and years has been the the first state to choose presidents. Right? They they have the Iowa caucuses. I, I think that might not happen next time around, but but that's it. So what happens is, in an effort to suck up to Iowa corn farmers. You have all these candidates that go and, and they, they talk about how they love ethanol. We, we, we love ethanol because that's a, a big sloppy wet kiss to people who grow corn. What, what, what is ethanol? Well, ethanol is, is a corn-based product that you mix with regular with, you mix with gasoline. All right. So the corn farmers love it because it gives them another market to sell their, their corn. And we can grow the corn and we can sell it not just for food, but we can also sell it to help produce gasoline. Well, all right. Many, many cars are made to run on ethanol mixes that have up to 10 percent ethanol. Well, E15 is the type of gasoline that uses a 15 percent ethanol blend. Many, 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 many older cars do not run well on this. And if you put E15 in, you're going to wreck your engine sooner or later. If you've got small engines and you try to run them like lawnmowers and stuff on E15, you are inviting all sorts of problems. So what Biden's solution is, he said, okay, because of pollution rules, in most places that you can't, they don't sell E15 gasoline during the summer. So his big announcement today is what we're going to do is we're going to use E15 gasoline to be sold all across the United States this summer in an effort to, this is their phrase, expand Americans' access to affordable fuel supplies because E15 gasoline tends to cost about 10 cents less a gallon than the what I'm going to describe as the non-junk gasoline, which would be the regular gasoline that has up to a 10% blend of ethanol in it. So Biden's big idea is you will save money. We're going to allow people to put E15 into their cars during the course of the year. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, see, here here's the first 
and most obvious problem with this, aside from the fact that for most of us, there's no way in God's green earth that we would put E15 gas in, in our cars. Even if they say the cars were made to run on it, I think you're still taking a risk. Number two, though, this doesn't save anything because E15 gasoline provides less less power. I mean, it, it has a lower energy content. So you're you're going to get less mileage running E15. So yes, it's true that maybe if you, you know, put 10 gallons in at the pump, that that 10 gallons is going to cost you a little bit less than if you had used the non-junk gasoline. But the problem is you're not going to get anywhere near the mileage. So you're going to be back at the gas pump sooner. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if you decide you want to put E15 gasoline in your car, go with God. That, 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 that's okay. But the idea that that's going to make any sort of material difference to our energy problems is, I think, just absolutely ridiculous. And it's nothing, again, but just a, a, a way of avoiding the underlying problem, which is we need to increase our capacity we need to be producing more oil and gas. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you thrilled with the idea that now you might be able to put E15 gasoline in your car throughout the rest of the summer? And do you think that's really going to have any material effect on gas prices? My answer would be, I don't think so. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is the stuff that just makes my head want to explode. So the, the president's big idea to help reduce energy costs is we're going to increase the availability of E15, the, the higher ethanol blend. Well, first of all, lots and lots of cars, particularly older model cars, are not set up to run on this. And especially you put this stuff in small engines, you know, good, good luck with, with that. But secondly, the, and, and here's... Oh, I, and I can't believe that nobody is is asking Biden this when he now makes these announcements. Of course, he goes to Iowa to make the announcement because people in Iowa love it because they're all corn farmers, and this increases the demand for corn. For corn, okay. First of all, in the last segment of the program, and this is how the programs kind of flow together sometimes. You know, we, we talked about we talked about prices at the grocery store. So okay, so now. Let us assume that he is somehow able to artificially increase the demand for for corn. Okay, well, supply and demand, what's going to happen? The cost of corn is going to go up, so be paying even more at the grocery store for products that that involve corn. Okay, that's number one. But number two, and and here's the the stunning thing about this. By by using E15 gasoline, you, you do not save money. Well, what do you mean you don't save money, Jeff, because I went to the gas station and it's 10 cents or 12 cents lower. It has lower energy content. You do not get as good a mile per gallon as you get out of the the other, what I'm going to call the the regular non-junk gasoline. You don't get as much many miles per gallon. So, yes, it's true, as I was saying earlier, that you, you save a little bit of money when you put your 10 gallons in because the ethanol, the E15, costs less than the, the regular gasoline. But you're going to be back at the pump sooner because you don't get as good mileage. And I think most experts say that it's, it's pretty much of a, of a wash. So 
this isn't doing anything to help America's you know, energy dependence. It's not doing anything to help with prices. It all ends up being a wash. And the problem here is, is Biden is grasping at straws and looking for political gimmicks when the true answer that he won't follow because it will alienate part of his base is drill, baby, drill. We have to do everything we can in the short term to increase production of of gasoline and, and oil. And at some point in time, like I say, that it, you'll, you'll have the renewables. That'll happen five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. The technology will ultimately catch up with that. But right now we're in a crisis and simply saying, okay, well, we're going to let you buy more E15 gasoline isn't going to do anything. Let's talk to Gianni and Montello. Good afternoon. Yes. Hello, Jeff. Hi. Uh, listen, I, I, the vehicles I drive are um, 20 and 30 years old, so I, I can't use the E15. But I don't know really why I would use E15, because as you said, there, there, there's less fuel um, mileage. Uh, there's less energy. Um, diesel is, is your best bet, but I don't have a diesel. But I, I'm a little confused. Doesn't Mr. Biden, uh, President Biden, know that um, there's going to be a grain shortage and whatever corn and fertilizer shortage and whatever corn and wheat is produced to produce alcohol, um, it's just going to go proportionally, uh, probably higher. It's not even going to be proportionate. It's going to be more expensive than gasoline if if what, what happens um, this right. summer is uh, it comes to, to fruition. Yeah, Gianni, you are more than just a pretty face. You make a great point as well. How do you, okay, where do we get the corn that we then subsequently turn into the, the junk gasoline? Where, well, where does that come from? Well, it, it has to be planted in the ground by farmers. Now, again, you know, we, this is not 18, this is not 1763, and you, you don't have people just walking through the fields, scattering corn in, in the fields and things like that. We, we have modern technology, and we have tractors, which, by the way, do not run on ethanol gasoline, uh, on, on ethanol gasoline. So, you know, you, you, have, you have tractors and combines and all these things. You know, it, it's all mechanized. And you are exactly right, Gianni, because there's a lot of people who say that what happens is— that what happens is in order to, by the time you, you add in all the, the costs and the energy you have to use in planting the fields to, to grow the corn, which are subsequently turned into gasoline, that actually ethanol is a loser <laughs> because you have to expend all these resources, both from a climate perspective and otherwise, you have to expend all these, you know, um, resources in order to do it. At best, it's kind of a zero-sum game. But this, to me, actually, even you know, re- releasing some of the oil from the strategic pre- reserve, that at least made a little bit of sense to me because, okay, you're, you're, you're putting a little bit of more oil on the, on the market. You can't release enough to make a difference, but at least I, I understood that. This will do absolutely nothing. Now, again, if you want, if you want to put E15 in your car, Go ahead. I mean, that that's your choice. Be careful. Be careful that it's not going to wreck your car, because like I say, a lot of cars, particularly older ones, aren't set up to run on this. I mean, I, I, I've, got, I've got newer model cars. I would never put this stuff in my car. I just I, – I wouldn't because I, I just – I don't know – what it's going to do. And the last thing I want is, is lower mileage. The last thing I want is going to the gas pump more often. Let's talk to um, Joe in Sussex. Joe, you're on WTMJ. So uh, if I take a thousand acres and uh, decide to not grow uh, human consumption corn and 
grow ethanol corn. Later on, you cannot use that for animal field or human consumption. So that takes even more corn out, out of the market to feed us. You know, at a time when we need all the feed, uh, corn and wheat to grow for the world, you know, because of Ukraine, we need we need it not for ethanol. That is crazy. Okay, now back back up because you said something that I I guess I didn't realize. I mean, I knew the corn that they use for ethanol is different than the corn we we use for for like like eating the corn on the cob and stuff. But right. so what uh, you're what you're saying consumption right. So once once you plant the one type of corn, you you can't go back and plant the other type of corn. Is what you're saying. Right. I mean, you probably maybe you can get a couple, uh, two seasons in there. But, you know, you're taking all that land. Let's say a farmer says, hey, it's more profitability for me to grow uh, ethanol corn this year. So you take more land or more opportunities or more corn that would be used to, you know, a lot of our products in the market are made by corn. And whether it's fossil or weather. And uh, so if you take that out, it's going to push it you know, the manufacture of food products, even higher for pricing. You know, if you go to like a farm, you'll see that it says not for human or animal consumption. Right. Interesting. No, thanks. For, right. No, thanks. Which is which is why I mean, a couple of people are saying, well, it's different, so it doesn't have an impact. Well, yeah, yes, it it does. Jeff, I have a new Subaru Forester that I have tried unleaded um, eighty eight from Quick Trip and E fifteen fuel. Fuel mileage is a little worse than the regular, but it's a little bit cheaper. As you said, my real-world experience is there's zero gain. This is a short-term fix to a long-term issue. Bottom line is we need to get more oil production. Absolutely. That, see, that, that, that's the answer. And this is where the president should be leading. And again, I, I, he won't do it because it runs afoul of, like, the, the climate change people that he's gotten into bed with. And, I, I see, I think you can have it both ways. I, I think you can say, look, we're, we're all about figuring out alternative forms of, of energy. And, and yes, that, that is going to be the future, and we're going to continue to move in that direction. And, yes, we're going to look at everything, including maybe nuclear power, which to me is, is the only— the only, you're never going to get renewables, at least in my lifetime. You're never going to get enough from renewals, renewables to power a grid where we're all driving electric cars and, and heat people's homes in you know um, Sheboygan, Wisconsin in, in January to a sufficient rate. You're never going to do that. So what you need to do is you need to like look at things like, like nuclear energy and things like that. But while you are developing this in the real world, the world we live in in 2022, you've got to increase domestic oil. Production because right now it is cheap. It is rel- it's cheap to produce and it's plentiful. And so you know that's what we should be concentrating on. At the same time, also recognizing you need the future. You can in fact have it both ways, but this president doesn't want it that way. Back with more in just a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, another bad day on Wall Street. Um, the, the actually the, the stock market, the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq opened up like a couple hundred points, and it's been, I think, partly because of the Biden inflation numbers. It's been heading downward. It's now Dow's down fifty, and the Nasdaq's down forty three. But this is after again day after day of pretty much relentless losses. To give you perspective, when Joe Biden was inaugurated. 
the Dow Jones closed at 36,300. It's now 34,200. So it's down 2,000 points since Joe Biden took over for office. NASDAQ, it's worse. NASDAQ uh, closed on Inauguration Day at 15,644. Now it's 13,369. So it's down over 2,000 points as well. But the NASDAQ's a lot smaller. So percentage-wise, that's a, a much greater decrease, which, uh, again, you you couple that with all the inflationary pressures and everything going on, and you understand why people are not happy about the economy, because you're getting it from all sides. Costs are going up for people who have money, retirement money, for example, invested in the stock market, at least for the last year or so. All that money you put in over the last year has probably been, been pretty much eaten up. All right. I said beforehand, all three candidates, the main three Republican candidates for governor, all agree on on this particular issue. And they're they're all wrong. All right. Journal Sentinel is reporting this. All three candidates, former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish, who I believe will be the Republican nominee, unless Tommy Thompson decides to get into the race, which I don't think he's going to. Uh, Kevin Nicholson former candidate for Senate who lost to Leah Vukmir a couple of years ago, and State Representative Tim Ramtham, who is sort of representing the crazy fringe of the Republican Party. He's the guy that wants to decertify or thinks that you can somehow decertify the, the election. But, you know, he, he he's in there. He, he's in there as well, no matter how much you need to be wearing a tinfoil hat to adopt that particular position. And by the way, don't send me emails on this. I understand that there are legitimate issues and questions about the way the 2020 election and actually the most recent election was was conducted. But th- this isn't a question of fraud. It's a question of how, how what does the law really mean? And we're waiting for decisions from the Supreme Court on, on what it really means. But this idea that Somehow Wisconsin is going to decertify its votes and then Michigan or Arizona or somebody else will follow suit. And then the U.S. Marshals are going to walk in and frog march Joe Biden out of the office. I'm sorry that you're, if, if you believe that you are on the train to Cookville, you, you just are. And you need to get past that and you need to start concentrating on you know, issues in 2022 and then 2024. But in any event, so you've got the three candidates who, according to the Journal Sentinel, all said – that if they were elected and the legislation came to them, they would sign legislation that would eliminate permit requirements for firearm owners. In other words, they would do away with the requirement that you, if you want to carry a concealed firearm, you need to have a permit. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, this is a really, really bad idea. And I understand that you do it sometimes because you think you have to pander to a base. But this is the type of thing that I think turns off a lot of people. Now, let me back up on this. I, I still—I was one of— on this radio program, the biggest advocates for Wisconsin going to the concealed carry system. We were the 49th state to do it. I argued strongly that there was no reason at all why Wisconsinites were more bloodthirsty than any of the other 48 states who had allowed this. And I strongly believe that people with appropriate permitting should be allowed to carry concealed weapons. So I, I am a big supporter 
of of CCW. Okay, I, I have no problems with that concept at all. If anything, though, I think that the training, if I were the king, I think the training should be even more intense because right now, in order to get a concealed carry permit, you have to you know, send in your money, you have to go through the background check, and you have to sit through like a half-day course that teaches you essentially, that gives you kind of a little crash course on the law. You know, when, when you can use it, when you can not use it, you know, it, it creates samples like that. If anything, and I have said this before, and I know you might not agree with me, I think that in order to carry a, a gun in a concealed fashion in public, you should also have to have some form of proficiency training. In other words, prove that you know how to use the gun. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that back before carrying concealed weapon and stuff, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the late 80s, um, late 80s, maybe early 90s, I, there was a couple years where I, I carried a gun, and I, because of death threats and things like that, and I was I, I, I was what they called a special deputy U.S. marshal, so I had this little card and stuff, but in order to do that, you had to qualify. I had to go down to a range, and I had to prove that I knew how to use the gun. I had to prove that I had to shoot, which... I guess I've always thought that if you're going to take the awesome responsibility of carrying a gun, I I think you should have to demonstrate that you sort of know how to use it because the worst thing, something that's even worse than needing a gun and not having one, is is needing a gun and then not knowing how to use it. So I I would add proficiency training to that, That, but, but that's not the discussion. There is this movement afoot to say, let's let's do away with any sort of permitting at all, and let's let anybody who wants, you know, carry a gun in a concealed fashion. Let's forget about the registries. Let's forget about the background checks. Let's forget about even minimal sort of training. You want to stick a handgun in your pocket and go out into public, we think you should be able to do it. That's the, the argument. It's kind of a constitutional carry. That's the phrase that it, that it gets. And all three Republican candidates have apparently embraced that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, I'm not even close to there. I I support the Second Amendment. I support the right of, of people under appropriate circumstances to carry firearms for whatever reasons that they want related to as long as it's a lawful reason. But I, I think— I do not think it is unreasonable to expect somebody who wants to do that to go through the background check, to take the minimal training courses, and to have to get a permit. And simply allowing anybody anywhere who wants to stick a gun in their waistband and go and carry it in in a concealed fashion for so many reasons, I think that's a bad idea. And yet all three Republican candidates for governor support it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I've got a concealed carry permit. The training I had to take to get it was well worth it and necessary. Um, In my case, I think it was like 16 hours of training, and I went through qualifying at a range. Now, that's not a requirement. Proficiency training is not a requirement of getting a concealed carry permit. I would argue that it it should be, (laughs) but but it's not. But I guess the, the bigger point now is there's this push to say, let's do away with all permitting. Let's just let anybody who wants, you want to take that handgun, you want to stick it in the back of your belt pocket, uh, in your in your belt, you want to cover it up, you want to conceal it with your jacket, go on out in public, who needs a permit? 
I don't think that that is responsible. I think that creates a nightmare for law enforcement trying to determine who is legally carrying firearms versus people who are illegally carrying firearms. I don't think the requirements we have right now that say, hey, you got to get a permit, I don't think that they are onerous. I don't think that they're unreasonable. And candidly, I don't think the general public is is ready to just simply say anybody that wants to carry a gun anywhere in a concealed fashion can do so. Let's talk to John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, yes, uh, yeah, I, you know, I have a CCW, and, 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 and I sat in that class for four hours, you know, but it was necessary because it's a lot of things I didn't know, and I've had guns, uh, you know, all my life, pretty much. And uh, they tell you what you shouldn't do. They show you how to shoot the gun. And you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. I mean, you got to have a, a, a license to drive a car. Well, you should have, you know. But I, I, I just feel like that you ought to know something about, about that weapon because uh, it's very dangerous. You can shoot yourself in the foot. You know, kids can get a hold to it. And you're responsible. Once yeah. you get that gun, you know, even if, even if you, in the class, they taught us, even if it's a righteous shoot, you still might not get out of it. Yeah. So, so don't be too trigger heavy. Well, well, exactly, you John. Know, yeah. You need to know how to shoot that thing. Well, right. Exactly. You can't, you can't shoot somebody. But, but, but stealing your hubcaps, you can't do that. You can't. You can't kill somebody for stealing hubcaps. Well, right. I and I guess you know, the only way you. Uh, no, thank John. Thanks for calling. I mean, I no, I, I'm with you on this. And again, it, it's, I, 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 this to me is a is a reasonable middle ground that that you take and look and i also understand in wisconsin right now you we have we have open carry so if you don't want to carry a concealed weapon if you want to carry the 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 gun in plain sight you're you're, you are allowed to do that but we're talking about you know hiding the gun and carrying it in a concealed fashion i think it's reasonable to require people to have to get permits and 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 i do think that it's not beyond the realm of possibility to say hey let, let's like john was talking about let's have a little bit of training let's sit down let's have somebody explain what the the consequences are that come from making this particular decision and you'll go go through the the training course so at least you learn oh that's exactly right when i when i come out and like his example was i i find the kid that's you know stealing my hubcaps i i don't have the right to just pull out the gun and start blasting away. Jeff, I'm a lifetime Republican, longtime Republican, and the issue is one where I part ways with the far right of the Republican Party. My husband is an avid hunter. He has had gun safety and training. I am not against gun ownership, but common sense tells me we need responsible, informed, and safe gun owners. We have to do that with a car. Why wouldn't we have to do that with a gun? Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I have conceal and carry, took the four-hour course. But before I ever owned a handgun, I took 30 hours of on-range training with police officer and military. And I belong to a bullseye league. And I was taught in that conceal and carry, if you have a drop of alcohol and you're pulled over, you could be actually more in trouble than, you know, trying to protect yourself. So... This conceal and carry four hours is not enough, number one. Number two, uh, most people wouldn't know how to react with a gun. I believe the training is necessary and should be mandatory. Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks to call. Uh, Again, and like I say, I... 
I, I don't, I'll be honest, I, I do not, I own a gun, but I do not, I, I do not have a concealed carry permit. I do not carry the, the firearm when I'm out in public. I hated, I hated carrying the gun back, back when I was supposed to, you know, in another life when I, when I had the permit and stuff because of that, exactly like he's talking about, that awesome responsibility that comes with it. It was something that I thought about, you know, every time, you know, you'd go out that you'd, you'd have this gun and if you're presented with something, you know, would, would you use it? What would you do? And, and, and I guess in, in my, I've made the decision that in my current, what I do now, I, I don't need to carry a firearm all over. I respect the rights of people who come with a, a different decision, but I I don't think it is unreasonable for the government to say, "Okay, you know, we we want you, we we want you to have to get the permit." All right, let's get a different position. Ben on the south side. Ben, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Ben. Yeah, I I, uh, I disagree a bit on this position. Um, you know, we're not going into uncharted territory here with constitutional carry. We have 24 states in the United States that already employ constitutional carry without any significant issues. So um, your concept of somebody just putting a gun in their back pocket typically won't be the case or um, having un- people walk around with not enough training and shooting up um, people is definitely not the case. And you can see that in the 24 states that have constitutional carry. Ben, why do you need it? Um, tell, tell me what, give, give me your, your oh, sure. best argument. The, give me your best argument as to why sure. we should do away with the permit requirement. Okay. So let's say um, I'm I'm an individual um, in a stressful and a bad relationship, just getting out of that bad relationship, and I need a way to defend myself and defend my kids. Um, I have a brother or somebody close to me who has a firearm and can teach me some of the needs and knows of the firearm, training, uh, safety, how to keep it, store it. But I'm under a significant threat um, that's not going to be not going to have time for me to go and apply for a permit. I have to defend my life, not to defend my family's life. I I can't go and apply for a permit and wait weeks for it to come back or schedule a concealed carry course that have been booked up pretty frequently since uh, the pandemic and wait months to get this permit. I have to protect my family. Well, well, how, how often how often do you think you really get that emergency that that emergency situation that occurs? I mean, is that is that a real thing or is that just sort of in the in the abstract? So I I don't know how long it takes to have a permit issued off the top of my head. But I mean, it, but is that is sure, that a, I, is that a real thing that affects most people? I mean, are most of the people that they don't have an opportunity to do it, or they just don't want to jump through the hoops and and do it and and, and get it? Well, you know, it's it's giving the person an option of you can either protect yourself, but if you do so, you can be arrested because you're concealed carrying without a permit. Or you can wait and not have the ability to protect yourself. Well, but in your um, example, you, we do have open carry. So in, in your example, if somebody was really in fear for their life and they didn't think the police could protect them and, and anything, <laughs> they, they still they, they could still have a have a firearm. They could obviously have a firearm at their house. They don't need that. Um, and, and they could go in public open carrying. It, it's just they, they couldn't put the gun in their purse or in their waistband. No, with open carry, um, if you if you're open carrying at any point, so let's say you're driving around the city, open carrying, um, you don't have the protection of the gun-free school zone. Um, so basically, with the concealed carry with, in Wisconsin, what you have is um, if you're driving around and you're even within that gun-free school zone, you're fine to 
continue to conceal carry as long as you don't go on the school property. But if you're open carrying, you don't have that protection. If you're within 1,000 feet of a school, you cannot open carry. Um, so if you're driving around the city, you don't know if you're going to be within 1,000 yards of a school. Get pulled over for a traffic citation and you're within 1,000 feet of a school, you could be getting <laughs> thrown into jail for a felony there. Okay. All right. Well, th- thanks for the call, Ben. I-, I wanted the best argument. I, I still, with-, with all due respect, I, I think... We're we're kind of grasping at straws there. You're, you're talking about that that extreme, you know, one in in ten thousand sort of situation where you've got somebody who's got th- this emergency situation that they have to put a gun in their purse or something. I I don't believe that that occurs that often. Let's see. Um, new concealed carry licenses require an approved training and a forty dollar fee. Uh, they will be processed within twenty one days per state statute. So yes, you do have to like like plan a little bit ahead. But I I can. I think, and here's what I say to my my, my friends who, you know, are, are the, the the big you know Second Amendment pro gun people. I, I think that the key when it comes to this issue is trying to figure out, you know, what is that reasonable balance. And I'm sorry for me, I support the right to concealed carry, but but having to have the background check and take the class, I think is a reasonable requirement to put on it. And and by the way, lest you think that I'm out on a limb on this, former Governor Scott Walker agreed with me. Back with more in just a few minutes. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, you need a gig like this. You see the latest news about Rachel Maddow, who is, of course, the the, the preeminent personality on the very left-leaning MSNBC. Matter of fact, She's their only personality that anybody watches. And did you see the announcement that she made I yesterday? Did. I did. She's been um, – she's obviously tired of doing her, her weeknight show. And by the way, I mean, I, I'm sure there, there's a lot of work that goes in with it. But again, it, it's the – it is the only thing that is watched on MSNBC in any significant number. She She's the, the whole enchilada, as it were. And they've been going through all sorts of trouble because she wants to cut back. And so she's been on a hiatus – over the course of the last couple months, and their ratings have completely and totally tanked at a time when there, there's all we got the war in Ukraine going on. I mean, it, it's it's a hot time for news viewership and things like that, and their numbers are cratering, and it's because they think she's gone. So she announces yesterday that um, she's she's going to be gone for she's only going to do the show one day a week. Yeah. She's going to come in on Mondays and do the show, and then otherwise she's. She she might come back around the elections and do a few more, but otherwise, just one day a week. Do you think you could do a radio show one day? Because with Maddow, it's it's current events, right? It's here's what happened today. If you do it once a week, I you got to like reformulate the whole the whole show. It, right, it, it's a much different dynamic. Then it becomes kind of like a, a in her case a, a left leaning this week with George Stephanopoulos yeah. or something, or or a Meet the Press or something. No, I mean I, I think that that is a completely different thing. Because remember. Um, you know, years ago on on Channel Four, um, our, our friend and former colleague Charlie Sykes had a Sunday morning show, mm-hmm. and I used to I, I would whenever Charlie was gone, I I did that show, and it, it's a completely different thing preparing for 
a a Sunday morning show or a Monday show or whatever. It, it's it's a completely different dynamic than doing a, a daily show where you're discussing the, the current events of of the day. No, it's it, it's it's much different. And my guess is when she comes back to do that one day a week, it's it's going to look materially different because you're not going to be talking about what happened on Monday. You're going to be talking about what happened during that those whole seven days. I. I would guess. And you you kind of fall into a weird position. And granted, Rachel Maddow probably has smarter people than I working on her show and helping her direct through this. But you got to fall in line between what are we going to do that 60 Minutes didn't do yesterday? And what are we going to do that someone like a John Oliver, who probably I would assume has similar audiences to a Rachel Maddow, we can't be that funny, but then we also can't just copy whatever 60 Minutes did. So I, I would be interested in seeing not what week one looks like for her, but like week six when people are like oh this is the show yeah it is and and see one of the things i i love about talk radio is i i think they're they're from the perspective of hosting a show there is a rhythm that that you get into and there's a there's a a, a continuity that okay you know we're we all have some of our, our pet issues, but it's like, okay, this is where we're, we're focusing on reckless driving or car theft in Milwaukee. And this is, this is where we were on Wednesday. And you know, two days later, you get more, more stuff. And it's, you kind of build on that and, and you do it on a kind of a daily basis, sort of like a building block. And I think audiences get used to also knowing that I'm going to turn on the TV at seven o'clock at night, or I'm going to turn on the radio at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's going to, there's Jeff's show is going to be there. I, I think that that's a, that's a whole different thing than being the host of a once a week yeah. show it's which isn't to say i mean obviously there's people who are very successful doing that but it's going to be different than that daily show yeah is it not just going to be meet the press right like that right. that's to me it's like sunday is the day where you do that sort of thing it's either a ending the week or starting the week however you want to look at your calendar but on a, on a, i don't know i feel like on a monday i just saw all this stuff yeah. On Sunday morning, so why would I tune in on a Monday evening to just right or, or or trying to figure out how to make something a big story that happened on Wednesday, how to make that relevant on yeah. Monday? I mean that I, I will tell you, Mike, that's always the challenge that just doing a show like mine I, I have, where okay, I'm 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 off for a week, and that doesn't mean I'm completely I, I don't. It's not like I'm not following current events and stuff, but something really really interesting to me happens on Wednesday, and then you come back that following Monday, and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, I really want to talk about this because I haven't had a chance to express my opinion, but everybody's had this thing and digested it and chewed it over day after day after day. How do you make that relevant to, to the audience? It, it, you know, they'll figure it out, but it's just, it's a much different dynamic. Much that being different said, skill. if anyone's listening and they just want to pay me for a full week for just one one morning of newscasts, <laughs> I am, I'm open to the idea. We can have that discussion. I, I remember when when I first started here, I did the shows. I did a Saturday show too, six days a week. So I did the Monday and Friday show. And then I did a couple, I was on from 10 to 3 on, on Saturdays. And it, the, the 10 to noon was kind of our, our lifestyle shows. And then a lot of times it got preempted by baseball or, yeah. or basketball or football or whatever. But but I do the Saturday shows. And I remember, hey, it was after about seven years or so, the general manager calls me into his office and he says, um, I want to talk to you about something. And you go, oh, I wonder what that, thing, you know, that is. And, and he said, no. He said, you know, we, we think you've kind of paid your dues. And, and how would you feel if you didn't have to do the Saturday show anymore? And I remember saying, Huh? So you're telling me you're going to pay me the same amount of money, and I only have to work five days a week instead of six? I said, I, I don't. Do, do I have 
dummy, you know, <laughs> you know, stamped across my forehead. I said, I, I would say thank you. <laughs> you know, and that you was, didn't feign it. You didn't say, oh, I, I cherish the five hours on Saturday. But I guess if I have to, I'll I, take I one will. for the team. Yeah. You know, maybe that maybe that should have been the strategy. But no, I, I said just thank you and move on. But it, it is going to be an interesting dynamic. And the other thing, like I say, she MSNBC has not done a very good job of finding the next generation of who's going to be the next Rachel Maddow. You know, in Fox News, for everything people think about Fox News, I mean, for the longest time, it was Bill O'Reilly. And then it was Sean Hannity. And then now it's it's kind of Tucker Carlson, which is, I mean, I understand Hannity's still there. But but there's been a progression of, of hosts and things like that. And because somebody, oh, Bill, Ryle, Bill O'Reilly leaves, so Fox News could be dead. Well, that's not what happened. Rachel Maddow, they haven't figured out how to find some compelling personality to replace her. And, and you're starting to see that. If, if I'm the MSNBC people, I'm going, okay, what, what are we going to do? Because we got to come up with a strategy to fill Tuesday through Friday and wonder also if she's going to be able to hold her audience just doing it once a week. That and how are you going to convince someone to come in, not only fill those hours from like a programming standpoint, but also – Hey, you're going to do this when like Maddow doesn't want to do it. You're not a fill-in, but you're also not going to be the person every single day because she's still going to have some of that time. Oh, 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 right. Yeah, that's it. So you get into that rhythm and stuff. But she says, oh, I want to do this week because it's the Democratic National Convention or whatever. So you get bumped yeah. there. So I don't know. Interesting sort of things. Interesting times. Um, but in any event, Rachel Maddow, that's the news. She's announcing that she's she's cutting back her schedule to one night a week. Nice work if you can get it. All right. When we come back, we've been stirring the pot. We continue. We continue because there is going to be a decision coming down the pike in the ne- coming down the pipe in the next couple days. Um, it's not going to make many of us happy, but some of you will be rejoicing. I will explain. We will discuss. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. looking at one of our, our texts. I, I said, you know, working once a week, making the same money. Nice work if you can get it. One of our texters. Oh, it's spoken by the guy who's only works three hours a day. To which my response was, well, look, I, I've got a great job. I'll acknowledge it. But anybody who thinks that being on the air of three hours a day translates into only working three hours a day does not understand this business or the industry very much. My wife always refers to it as doing your homework. Jeff's we got to we got to go now. We 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 got to go home because Jeff's got to do his, his his homework because even after all these years, I find that um, th- three hours of radio probably translates into five or six hours of prep work. Maybe maybe some people can do it in a more efficient or a faster fashion. But for me, that's kind of what it translates to. So it's, hey, you only work for three hours a day. Well, no, I'm on the air for three hours a day. Still a great job. All right. Been on an airplane recently, ridden on a train recently, been on a bus recently. And by recently, I mean, oh, the last couple years. After the, the COVID pandemic first hit, we had the rules that were put in place that said, if you want to, 
fly or take public transportation, that would be a bus, or um, get on a train, you must wear a mask. So we had that mask mandate that was put into place. It also says if you're sitting in an airport, you got to wear a mask. doesn't matter if your layover is 30 minutes or six hours, you, you have to wear a mask. And the idea was, okay, this is going to stop this, the spread of COVID. Maybe, it, maybe, maybe not. doesn't know, but that, that's what the rule was. Well, mask mandates have largely been dropped in almost all situations. The federal mask mandate on planes and in airports and on trains and on buses has been continued. And Joe Biden continues that. It was supposed to expire in March. Nope, nope, nope. The Biden administration said, no, we're going to extend it till April 18th, which is next Monday. So it is scheduled to once and for all, after a couple of years, finally be put into mothballs. Well, so the question's becoming, will Joe Biden really let the federal mask mandate expire? I mean, this is somebody who has been continuing it and continuing it. You've got airline executives who are now saying, look, you, you've got you've to drop this. There, there's no evidence that suggests that, you know, that the transmission of COVID um, occurs on commercial planes. There, there's never been any evidence of that or any significant evidence. And now the fact that, you know, COVID, the pandemic is at the stage that it is, and we've moved beyond mask requirements, there's no good reason other than simply just, you know, ex- exercising control on the general population that you have to have this requirement, which isn't to say that if you want to fly on a plane and you make the decision that you want to wear a mask, you know, Go with God. That That's certainly your decision. And it also doesn't say that if airlines decide that for whatever reason, comfort of their flight attendants, um, their belief that, I don't know, you need to wear a mask, that doesn't matter. Airlines, individual airlines could still have that requirement. But the question becomes, will the federal mask mandate be dropped? And if you thought, if you thought it was going to occur, well, I don't know. They're asking. Since this is occurring Monday, White House advisor, I've got the story today, asked, all right, are, are we finally going to drop this mask ma- mandate on planes, trains, and buses? And the requirement was, well, we don't know. The answer is um, there is a very good chance that this may be continued and another extension of the mandate may, in fact, be on the table. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question would be, if not now, ever. I mean, are we ever going to, at least as long as Joe Biden is the president, are we ever going to have the mask mandate dropped? Or is this just about the government deciding that they know better than the private industry and they know better than, than you? The U.S. Senate voted overwhelmingly to pass a law dropping the mask mandate on planes. So far, Nancy Pelosi has not taken that up in in the House. But the the Senate is on record as saying it is time to move on. I don't know what the Biden administration is going to do, but my guess, if I had to guess, is they will come out and they will say, no, you will will continue to be required, required that is, under the law to wear masks on planes and in airports and on trains and on buses. All right. The Journal of the American American Medical Association wrote in October of 2020, the risk of contracting COVID-19 during air travel is low 
Uh, Despite substantial numbers of travelers, the number of suspected and confirmed cases of in-flight COVID transmission between passengers around the world appears to be small. Our number, 855-616-1620. I think this has always been more about virtue signaling than anything else. But okay, we've had it in place for two years. If you're not going to drop it now, will we ever drop it? Or is this just going to be the new normal, the government saying, if you want to get on a bus, if you want to get on a train, if you want to get on a plane, you have no choice, you have to mask up. I think it's time to let this expire and let people make their own choices. 855-616-1620, we discuss. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Jeff, if the mask mandate is extended, I hope someone asks for the scientific study that supports the need for it. The mantra to follow the science should be challenged to provide the scientific proof. Well, well, yeah, that we're we're way past that. Um, you know, Jeff, they've already told us that this is the new normal and have used multiple tactics to suppress data and hold on to their position. It's nearly a religion, and they should not be allowed to force us to believe in it. Look, I, I'm. The, the the truth is, when we started this whole COVID thing, I, I got it. The idea was let's flatten the curve, let's not overwhelm hospitals, et cetera. But, but we're, we're now at a stage where COVID is endemic. It's not going to go away. You're probably going to need booster shots every year, just like the flu. And yes, I know COVID isn't the, exactly the same as the flu. But at some point in time, unless we're committed to saying, all right, the government is going to tell you that anytime you get on a plane or a bus or a train, you've got to continue to wear a mask. At, at some point in time, don't we simply say, we, we've got to just figure out how to get on with our, our lives. And if you want to wear a mask, wear, wear a mask. But does the government need to make you do that? And if so, wh- where's the documentation for this? Let's talk to um, Margie in Watertown. Margie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Good Hi. afternoon. Hi, Margie. I completely agree with you. Um, I actually flew yesterday, and I can tell you it's pointless for them to do this. People are, you know, abiding by it, but you're in that you know, an airplane, and they have HEPA filters that are better than emergency operating rooms, um, complete change of, of air, yet people are sitting shoulder to shoulder, 40,000 plus people in sporting venues, yep. uh, music venues, for longer than my flight, and they aren't mandating any masks there. So it really is just kind of pointless at this, you know, no, at this right. juncture, and I, I agree. No, it, you're, it's, it's exactly right. It, it is this virtue signaling. No, thanks to the call, Margie. And then, of course, one, one of the things we see happening is, is we pick and choose. All right, the, the Biden administration has announced that it's going to reverse Title 42. Title 42 was the Trump administration policy that allowed us to turn people back uh, at, when they were coming across the border because of, of COVID concerns. Well, they say, well, there's, there's no more COVID concerns, so we're, we're not going to follow Title 42. But yet they're going to tell you if you get on a bus that you have to wear a mask. Now, if you want to wear a mask, like I say, I, I think that that's great. Now, to me, that this is all about the issue of control. If it was ever about the science, it's not about the science now. All this does is provoke confrontations from people who don't want to wear the mask and they get into arguments with the flight attendants and things like that. Or I've got a handful of people saying, well, next flight that I'm on, this is what I do. I just bring a big bag of you know potato chips and because you're allowed to pull your mask down while you're actively eating. And 
and I snack on those the, the whole time. I mean, it's this is virtue signaling in the extreme. We have leveled, we have flattened the curve, and at some point in time, we have to recognize that COVID, it's going to be with us. And yes, and I appreciate that there is a small percentage of the population who has to take extra precautions but they got to take extra precautions when they're dealing with the flu or other things as well because of various Im, their various factors that they might be immunocompromised but but for the vast majority of people to the extent that there was ever a need to be mandated to wear masks when you're sitting in an airport that need has long ago expired now do i predict that biden's going to figure out a way to extend it yeah i think he probably will because that's his default position that control thing we will find out in a couple more days. It's 2.31. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Mike Spaulding. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Somebody sent me a text saying that if you go to the symphony, they still require you know, proof of, of vaccination. Uh, that I think that's probably in the minority, but that but I mean they, they certainly have the right to do that. But I think that again that's that's going away quickly, and at some point in time it's going to be gone. I think. All right. Speaking of going away quickly and, and being gone, we've we, we've talked in the past about about newspapers and how newspapers have become are becoming the, the dinosaurs in the tar pit. Now, hear me out on this. It, it, it's not that people don't want information, but it's the way we get that information. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you had, there were two papers in Milwaukee, the Morning Sentinel and the Journal was in the afternoon. They were owned by the same company, but they competed against each other. But, you know, you, the, the newspapers would actually be printed and they'd be delivered to your house. And then a number of years ago, they combined them and there was only, that became the Journal Sentinel. And it still published seven days a week. And that was what happened in most major cities. Well, all right, First of all, the cost of producing a daily newspaper has gone through the roof over the last several years, and particularly over the course of the last several months, we were talking about inflation earlier, it, it just it, it's continued to increase dramatically. Costs have gone up. In addition, the number of people subscribing to the print editions of newspapers has gone down dramatically. Why? Because... I don't know, people under a certain age, I, I used to say that it was under 30, now I think it might be under like 40, just just never grew up with that daily newspaper. And unless you're, I don't know, sitting at the car dealer waiting for the oil change, your car's oil to be changed or something, and they happen to have a newspaper out there, chances are you, you just don't pick up a daily newspaper. Now, maybe you... you subscribe. You know, it's not to say that you don't get the news, but I think more and more people do this online. I know that's 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 how I do it. I still have a daily paper delivered, the Wall Street Journal, but otherwise all the information I get, I, I, I do it digitally. I, I, I review it online. And, you know, it took a little bit of getting used to, but after about three days, I was used to it. And now that's how I get my news. I patronize a lot of newspaper websites, but at the same time, I Again, I'm I'm not getting those hard copies of the newspapers delivered. So there's a story in the Washington Post today you know, talking about how more and more newspaper companies have made the decision to cut back. 
Gannett, which is the um, USA Today and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, last month they eliminated one day of print per week at 136 of their newspapers, not the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel yet. Another 50, it says, are going to make the change by June, with most losing their Saturday print editions. Now, there's still going to be stuff, but it's going to be online. And the story goes on to talk about how at a number of the other um Big companies, and the McClatchy, for example, which owns 30 newspapers, they announced in 2019 that they would cut Saturday editions. The Tampa Bay Times, citing the pandemic and inflationary pressures, reduced printing to just twice a week. And then it, it goes on and on, talking about how more and more papers are cutting back dramatically. The Cleveland Plain Dealer scaled back to three days, this uh, home delivery decades ago. So the, the trend is is definitely cutting back. Saturday papers are the first to go, and they're going all across the country because they tend to be the smallest ones. But as prices are going up, more and more people are are just, and and fewer people are subscribing, at least to the hard copy of the paper. It it becomes, when you look at economies of scale, it becomes, you know, it's cheaper the more you produce. So you've got, it becomes more expensive, and you've got like the subscriber base that is spread out all over heck and back. So it's tougher to get those papers delivered. So, I mean, I guess the point of this is, well, um, Newspapers keep, this is what the headline says, newspapers keep eliminating print days. They say it's for the best. And what newspapers are trying to do is drive people to the online editions. Now, the problem that poses for newspapers is at at some point in time, how do you make enough money? How do you charge enough money for the subscription to pay for all the costs? And the thinking is if you eliminate having to print the newspapers, well, okay, you reduce your costs dramatically. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I think there's always going to be weekly shoppers, and my guess is for most newspapers, there will always be kind of that Sunday edition because there's still a segment of the population that likes those physical coupons. Although, I, I got to tell you, I mean, if you're like me I, and I go to places, I'm looking for coupons on, online. You can find them online. I don't need to get a hard copy of a newspaper to find coupons that I might use. But I think there's a certain segment of the population that still wants that. Five years from now, Will there be a daily newspaper delivered to your home? 855-616-1620. My answer would be Sundays, maybe, and maybe for a couple of the the big national papers, maybe the New York Times, maybe the Washington Post, maybe the Wall Street Journal, maybe USA Today. But for local papers, I just don't see this happening. And this is not a knock on, on the coverage or anything like this. I just don't think the economics make sense. Am I predicting that the Journal Sentinel or the Green Bay Press Gazette is going to go away? No. But I think it's going to be consumed in a much different fashion. And will it be delivered to your home seven days a week, six days a week, five days a week? I just don't see how that happens. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. 
Jeff, I get the Sunday Journal Sentinel delivered. Every week it gets thinner and thinner, and it seems like half the stories have already been previously released in the online website. The only thing new are the comics. Well, you know, that is that is an interesting thing. Like I say, I don't get the Journal Sentinel delivered at home anymore, but I, what I do is, is I will online, you can check and see what the print edition looks like. And it's true. You see stories three or four days later in the hard copy of the paper that appeared, you know, online. And I'm not I'm not being critical, but it's just it's the way that this whole thing operates. And it's like, well, there are I appreciate that there are people who who like to still have that newspaper and sit down in the morning and, you know, drink their coffee and have their scrambled eggs and toast and 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 have the physical copy of the newspaper. There's just not that many of those people around anymore. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. It's uh, perfect timing because I'm going through the process right now of just having my delivery canceled. There's The paper is less and less and less. All the good writers, you know, I'm a big sports guy. The sports page is you're lucky if you get a score from three days prior. And and I know they say they're unbiased and neutral, but gosh, going back the last two, three years, it sure seems like they have it out for anyone Republican leaning or, or conservative. So, um, you know, it used to take three hours to read the Sunday paper. You can get through it now in, in 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, thanks to call, Dave. You know, and you made an interesting point about the sports scores, because that that was always one. And I don't mean to pick on the local newspaper that because this is a problem that that's industry wide. But but, yeah, the, the deadlines are such that if you want to find out the, the score of a of a Bucks game that ends, you know, after nine o'clock at night or you want to find out the score of a Brewers game or the coverage, you got to do it online because it's not going to appear that that next morning. It's not like it used to be where you get the Journal Sentinel, you sit down, you get to read about, you know, this is what happened at, at the ballpark. That the, the timing is all off on that as well. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, I'm an old dinosaur. I love my paper. But two weeks ago when I went to the store, the checker lady, she told me that it's going up a buck to three fifty and four fifty on Sunday. And Jeff. That's it for me. I'm done. Yeah. No. No. Well, I mean, no. Thanks for calling. I mean, I, I've told this story before. I, I used to get the hard copy of the Journal Sentinel delivered, and then I got the renewal thing, and and it was it was some it was stupid money. It was like three hundred bucks, maybe a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, well, how much is the digital subscription? And the digital subscription was a third of that, maybe less. And I'm like, well, okay, th- th- this is it. I'm going to save a few hundred dollars. Now, like I say, I still. I get the Wall Street Journal delivered on a daily basis, and I do get the New York Times on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because those are the times on the weekends that I, I do have a little bit of time to sit down with a cup of coffee and, you know, kind of go through the paper, and there's still a lot of content there. But but I will tell you, that's I, I don't see this as being the wave of the future. Um, Mike, who's calling us from Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Yeah, definitely not the wave of the future. Um, my parents are still the ones that sit down with their morning cup of coffee and read the paper. They've done that ever since I can remember. Um, I was a voracious reader of the Chicago Sometimes back in the 90s, and sometime, I don't know, within the last 10 years, I just stopped. It was not even a conscious decision. It just slowly faded from my lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. And um, I just stopped checking it. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. I used to be a paper boy back in the late 70s, and I remember I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and almost every resident got the Chicago Tribune and the local paper, which is the Daily Herald, which is a suburban paper. Right. Now you see maybe 
like one house on a block getting a paper, and it's not by a paper boy. It's some guy, older guy in a, in a car, yeah. dropping it off and then driving away. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's I mean, I guess it's not unfortunate, but I mean, it's just how it goes. It's, it it is. Know, it's just the reality. It's coming for a long time. No, no, thanks for yeah. calling. It, 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 is, it is just, it is absolutely the reality that, I mean... And again, I think there's going to be a couple of the big national papers that might continue to print. But then, you know, you're, you're, you have those, those added costs of the deliveries and things like that. And it, this is this isn't an anti-newspaper app. Like I say, I I I still I mean to do my show. I, I I love it. I'm a news junkie, and I go to a lot of the websites. But you do that for a fraction of the cost. And I, I think you know what you're seeing too is the newspapers are trying to push more and more people to digital. I just wonder how you can make enough money doing that to, you know, will people will people be able to, well, enough people pay in order to cover what the costs of producing the news are going to be. Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, you're on WTMJ. I just canceled the paper in December after 45 years getting a daily. I, I had three major issues, and all they kept telling me was, go digital, it's your best option. So, and I have a, a subscription for a year, but I, I'm one that likes to sit and read it. I don't even think to look at it anymore, which is sad. I grew up getting three newspapers a day, but they kept lying to me, and I don't think they care anymore. But, you know, the news, there's so much less on there. Yeah. They're combining days. They're putting other stuff in. You know, during COVID, it was nothing but COVID. I mean, there's, there's just, you can watch TV, listen yeah. to you guys, watch Facebook. Yeah. And you get everything you need to know, unfortunately. And the articles aren't even in depth anymore. Right. And, and no, thanks. For, no, so it, and it's, it's no. I probably won't even renew it in December. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. You're right now. And plus, you have that, that added competition from, again, it's internet, but, but some of the, the hyper local websites that are out there, and there are a couple in Milwaukee, and I've talked about them before, who, you know, that are. The, the the truth is the the local newspaper there, there's not enough money to it used to be that you'd, you'd have a beat reporter who covered like the federal courts when I was in the federal court that that's long gone used to be when it was journal something there were two they don't have that anymore there's not some reporter that sits in the common council meetings anymore there, there's not a crime reporter that goes on a daily basis from courtroom to courtroom looking for stuff it's just and and that's being replaced a little bit I think by some of these like local websites that try to end up being Hyper local, but but their websites. It's all electronic. I think that's the wave of the future. I, I really do think at some point in time, I, I don't know. Just like when I talk about, gee, I remember when we had eight track tapes. People just kind of kind of look and say, "What is this eight track tape of which you speak of?" I think there's going to be a time when we say, "Hey, you know, remember those newspapers?" And there's going to be generations of people who say, "Newspapers? What exactly is that?" When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds. Stick around. More Jeff Wagner right after this. 